I'm John Henry, and this is Open for Business, a branded podcast from eBay and Gimli Creative about building a business from the ground up. This week on the show, one of the most important and yet much maligned and misunderstood parts of starting your own business, marketing. The term marketing can be confused for spin or manipulation, for telling a story that convinces people to part with their hard-earned cash for something they may not need or even want. And yeah, there's marketing that aims to do that, but this episode isn't about that kind of marketing. It's also not about buying Facebook impressions or Google ads. This episode is about telling your story to potential customers in a way that resonates with them. And we start today with a company on the rise a company headed towards stratospheric success until their founder made a marketing blunder to end all marketing blunders. Well, the company had high visibility. It was probably the equivalent of Google or Facebook today. This is Chatty McReynolds. She's a former vice president of operations at the Osborne Computer Corporation. Was well-known, was getting a lot of press, was considered the product to own And there was a lot of buzz. A lot of people wanted to work at Osborne. The Osborne Computer Corporation helped pioneer a product you may have on your desk or in your bag right now, laptops. But back in 1981, they were called something else. So it was considered the first portable computer? Yes, it was. Or luggable, I think. Portable would be kind of a stretch. It was classified as a luggable, it's 27 pounds, 28 pounds, and had a screen, built-in screen. Luggable is not a word we use to describe computers today, but this was 35 years ago, and a computer that you could lug, a computer that you could move at all, was a huge deal. Consumers were excited about the Osborne Computer Corporation, and so was the media. Time Magazine had done an article on it, obviously the Wall Street Journal, so it had a lot of a lot of press outside of industry press. I can remember, you know, on 60 Minutes, they were talking about, well, are you going to make a lot of money? And I think two of the young VP says, yes, we're going to be very, very wealthy. That 60 Minutes segment aired in November of 1982. In the piece, 60 Minutes correspondent Morley Safer talked about a young guy named Stephen Jobs. He talked about Intel and Microsoft, but the focus of the story was the rising star the Osborne Computer Corporation and its new computer. It's called the Osborne, after its creator, Adam Osborne, a British immigrant with a bright idea. I'm going to run every typewriter out of every office with machines like mine. That is Adam Osborne. And in case it doesn't come through in that clip, he was a very confident man. Here's Morley Safer interviewing Osborne. You compare yourself with Henry Ford. How does that comparison work? Well, what I'm doing is I'm giving you the fundamental machine that does what most people want done. And if you want the extras or the frills, you go pay a lot more money and get it from someone else. Well, you're making a profit at $1,800. Oh, yes, an excellent one. You could sell it even cheaper then, theoretically. Oh, yeah. And still make a profit. Sure. I won't. Why should I? Adam Osborne wasn't just a pioneer in the product, the portable computer. He was also a pioneer when it came to selling it. And it's a model that's become so standard on computers and mobile devices, we don't even think about it anymore. The invention of the bundle 
he had managed to do a deal with a bunch of software companies to bundle the software with the computer. That is journalist John C. Dvorak. Before Adam Osborne's death in 2003, Dvorak co-authored a book with Osborne called Hypergrowth, The Rise and Fall of the Osborne Computer Corporation. John also hosts a podcast called No Agenda. And when you took the total cost of the software, and all important software, not just slouchy software that nobody wanted, the software was valued at more than the price of the computer. And this was the genius of the Osborne uh, computer. Shortly thereafter, everybody did this. But he had a head start, about a year head start at least, and he was just selling these things like hotcakes. So they were growing like crazy. So by the end of 1982, the Osborne Computer Corporation seemed like it was on track to become a Silicon Valley giant. But chances are, you've never heard of them. Why? I would say it's totally a marketing error. If I err, I use the word blunder. So Osborne did make, you know, a, a marketing blunder. It was a thoughtless deed that had a huge impact on a really, a really interesting company. The main reason we don't talk about the Osborne Computer Corporation today is a marketing blunder. Marketing is a broad term. It can mean promoting your products publicly. It can include advertising, but a crucial part of marketing is just the basic act of talking about your product or brand to the outside world. That was at the heart of Adam Osborne's marketing blunder. And here is how that blunder played out in real time. I can remember, you know, I was involved in taking a letter of intent from an international distributor. He was in the office and he was giving us a letter of intent for the executive. That's Chatty McReynolds again. One afternoon in early 1983, she was in a meeting in one of the conference rooms at the Osborne Computer Headquarters in San Francisco. And Chatty was about to close a deal to sell a bunch of computers. They were called the executive. I can't remember what the quantity, but for us, it was a big order. We were very happy. We had gotten the price set out. We had the terms set out. Chatty's customer, the international distributor, had pen in hand. He was about to sign the contract. And Adam walked by the office and put his head in, and he goes, you know, how are you doing? He said, oh, fine. I'm, I'm placing an order for the new executive. And Adam goes, wow, well, that's fantastic. But if you love the executive, you're going to love the cherry bomb, which comes after it. You're going to love that cherry bomb that comes after it. That was Adam Osborne bragging to that customer about the next computer they had in development. Not the one that the customer was about to order, but the one that wasn't quite available yet. Osborne called it a cherry bomb because, according to him, it was going to blow up the marketplace. But, of course, he had just ducked his head into a meeting where a customer was about to sign a contract for the current model of the computer, which all of a sudden seemed a lot less attractive to Chatty's customer, the distributor. The um, distributor looks at us and said, you know, maybe I'll hold my order. And he pulls back the letter that he had just given us. So that was a big order that disappeared because Adam had basically told him about the future product that he had called the cherry bomb in front of our distributor. My boss, who was a very nice guy, looking like he was going to leap through the door and throttle Adam. If he could have run over Adam with his car, he would have done it. You know, we knew there was another product. But, you know, all companies know they're a new product, but you got to manage expectations. You got to sell what you have. Chatty McReynolds told us that Adam Osborne would repeatedly leak news about the next and unavailable model of computer 
to business partners, to local distributors, and the media. The press would come and say, can you come in on this new product coming out? And so, naturally, demand for the Osborne computers that were ready for sale plummeted because Adam Osborne kept telling people about all the new stuff coming down the pike. By the end of 1983, the Osborne Computer Corporation was bankrupt. Chatty McReynolds was actually part of a group of employees who managed to bring the company out of bankruptcy, but it was too late. They couldn't save the Osborne Computer Corporation. The company went from legendary at technological innovation to legendary for something else. It became known as the Osborne Effect, and it was partly responsible for the company going under. The Osborne Effect has become a textbook lesson in modern marketing. It's even got its own Wikipedia entry. Quote, the Osborne Effect is a term referring to the unintended consequences of a company pre-announcement, which ends up having a negative impact on the sales of the current product. And this brings us to lesson number one. You have to be calculated and intentional anytime you're communicating about your product or your brand. You might want to shout good news from the rooftops, but before you do, think through the consequences. Do it strategically and make sure you have a plan for promoting your business to the outside world. So that's a legendary cautionary tale about getting marketing wrong on a very grand scale. But getting it right doesn't have to be the result of some big strategy or master plan. Sometimes the right marketing strategy for your company can have very humble beginnings. Okay, we're going to show you how to do a good way to fold bandanas from third power outlet. The first look, of course, is a pretty standard look that you see worn by many individuals. So there's there's four mannequin heads on what seems like a papa, like a fold-out <laughs> like fold car, car table. <laughs> That's John Lawson, also known as the shoestring king on eBay. John has been an eBay seller since 2001, and in that time, he sold millions of dollars of products on the site. John's also grown his successful eBay business into a personal brand, and it all started with this video he made. And if you can look really close, I don't even have on shoes under the table. And there's, oh, I see the no shoes. Yes, no <laughs> shoes, ashy feet. I mean, just really bad. Before John launched his first eBay store, he was in a really, really tough spot. Two mortgages and no good way to pay for either of them. I was basically going bankrupt, really. <laughs> that's a great way to start. <laughs> yeah, right? I tell people, you know, if you got a foot in your backside, that's a great motivator. Yes, sir. I'm working a regular job, and I need to make some money. Somebody said, hey, man, you can sell stuff on eBay. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try that. And so I took all these books in my house and started selling them on eBay. And then when that ran out, I started looking for other things to sell. And this brings us back to bandanas and that video about how to fold them. All the way around the back, double knot. John's black. He lives in Atlanta, and he noticed the kids around him were really into bandanas. They were watching rap videos and really wanted to look like the rappers they loved. So John bought a bunch of bandanas and started selling them on eBay. And initially, he thought his customer base was going to be kids in big cities. When we sold the bandanas, I was like, I know these products will sell in the, uh, um, you know, how do you say it, PC these days, in the urban areas of town. Got you. 
Black folks, black folks. Right, to black folks. It was totally for the East Coast and the West Coast. Mm -hmm. But when we put the items on eBay, that was worldwide, and we were getting orders from all over the world. And between the coast, we would get a lot of orders. And it was from a lot of kids that would watch the the videos and the hip-hop thing and wanted to emulate those. Mm -hmm. And so the number one question I used to get was how, after I'd sell the bandanas, they wanted to know how to fold it to look like Tupac. <laughs> and that's when he came up with the idea for the video, to teach the kids in Japan and France and Iowa who were buying his bandanas how to fold them just like Tupac. And John knew that this was the number one question he was getting from his customers because he was obsessive about listening to them. He read every email. He spent hours each night on the eBay message boards reading through what people were saying about his bandanas, trying to answer any questions that they had. And so this one video, it ended up being a really useful piece of content for his customers. Were you actually a pro at folding bandanas? No, absolutely not. I, I had looked it up. What happened was that video got shared. And once I started seeing a lot of traffic going to this video, I started putting my own URL and links in it mm -hmm. to tell them how to get the bandanas and who to get the bandanas from. So what I was doing now was put positioning myself as the bandana expert. John's eBay store is going strong. He wrote a book called Kick-Ass Social Commerce for ePreneurs, and he now teaches others how to market themselves. All of this started with that one video. John has learned that good marketing doesn't necessarily have to have high production values or perfect lighting to work. But good marketing does have to answer a real need for your customers. And this brings us to lesson two. Successful marketing requires listening first. The best way to identify your customers' needs is to listen. If you're there, to help people and you're joining in the conversation because you're there really to learn. Because once I started learning what people were talking about and asking, like I'm telling you these little things about the how much cotton and how you should wash them and keep them, all these little things I learned, I learned from being in those groups. They were teaching me, you know, and then I would take that information and put it into my advertising. So now I'm speaking their language and answering their questions. I'm part of the community now. Lesson two, listen to your customers. Sounds easy, right? It's not. Talking to customers is really, really, really scary. That is Slava Mann. He's the co-founder of Fortified Bicycles based in Boston. You know, when you first do it, I mean, I'm just remembering trying to walk across the dance floor in, you know, eighth grade and asking a girl to dance at the middle school prom it was <laughs> like that, like that level of scary it does it does <laughs> it's worse imagine that girl that i'm asking now is not just going to say yes or no she might start telling me she doesn't like the shirt i'm wearing or my dance moves right that's how it kind of feels when you talk to customers fortified makes bikes and bike accessories like lights and seats aimed at the city dwelling biker someone who uses their bike as their primary mode of transportation they're not supposed to rust or get flat tires but most importantly, their products are supposed to be unstealable. And we wanted to talk with Slava because he created a super successful marketing strategy for his business with basically no budget. And one way he did that was to follow lesson number two. He listened to his customers. 
about the good stuff and the not so good stuff. I'm walking around the clipboard in uh, downtown Boston and approaching cyclists. And I'm asking a bunch of questions that lead to, hey, do you need a bicycle that's guaranteed against theft? And the thing that surprised me was that a lot of them didn't need it. You know, a lot of them say, well, I keep my bike parked in my garage or my work has parking and so on. And that was actually really, really painful. And we got really scared. We're like, are we going in the wrong direction? Slava and his team learned that not everyone needed their theft-proof bikes and bike lights. But the people who did were really passionate about that need. For a customer who has their bike lights stolen and they're riding home without lights at night or they have to unclip them and bring them into their office and they leave them on their desk and they're riding home with, without lights at night. I mean, imagine riding, driving your car without lights. This is life-saving for them. So you have a product that your customer base really believes in. You're about to launch a company around that product. Well, how do you get the word out, especially on little or no marketing budget? This brings us to lesson number three. So any product launch for a small business is a movement. And any movement starts with a kernel, like a, a core, a, a base. So what do you mean every product launch is a movement? It means you're getting a group of people to part with their hard-earned money and give it to you for some cockamamie idea that hasn't been proven. I mean, another way products get sold is by advertising. But what, how, how do you launch a product when you can't spend $500,000 on a Google ad campaign or millions of dollars on a TV ad campaign? You do it by starting a movement. And here is how Slava started his movement, by building word of mouth. For months before launch day, Slava had been refining Fortified Bicycle's story. He'd been learning how to market his company by telling that story over and over again to the people closest to him but in a very tactical and specific way. Friends, if you're listening to this, you are all very carefully organized in spreadsheets. So camp friends, you guys are all in one column. MIT Sloan friends, you're in a very long column because there's many of you and I love you. High school friends, uh, you're in another column. Rock climbing friends are another column, et cetera, et cetera. And when I emailed you guys, I didn't put you all on BCC because that would have been really impersonal. I actually sent... Uh, emails that were more personal. So I sent it off into circles of friends. I didn't send one email at a time. I couldn't be that inefficient. Slava's emails were tailored to the friend groups receiving them. They ranged from extremely informal to proper and professional. Slava was creating buy-in. He was making his friends feel like they had a personal stake in his company. And it worked. He got people to talk about his product to one another and beyond. He successfully created word of mouth. The great thing about word of mouth is that it's completely free. That's Jonah Berger, a marketing professor at the Wharton School. He's also a best-selling author of the book Contagious, Why Things Catch On. And also that word of mouth, that person-to-person -person communication is 10 times as effective as traditional advertising. Slava and his co-founder launched on Kickstarter. And shortly after their Kickstarter page went live, he realized just how successful his word of mouth campaign had been. Within seconds, we get our first purchase. And then the next purchase is like my mom. And I'm like, oh, mom. And then another one comes in and I'm like, do we know who that is? And then Brad's like, yeah, that's my friend's friend, Tom or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then another one comes in. I'm like, Brad, you know who that is? Like, I don't know who that is. And like, oh, wow, we don't know this person. First, it was like, we knew 100% of the people. And then within an hour, we only knew 20% of the people. Wow. And then it was mostly strangers. That same night, the night of the launch, Slava scored a major marketing win. 
So that night, my co-founder and another friend who had helped us, we came back to my apartment. For some strange reason, I decided I was going to make shrimp scampi. <laughs> so um, <laughs> boiling the pasta, and I have my phone glued to my hand because I'm hitting refresh like every 10 minutes. So like every 10 minutes, every 20 minutes, we get another order. Then what I noticed is that like every time I hit refresh, a new order is coming in. I'm hitting refresh like every few seconds, another order is coming in. And I'm like, what's going on here? You know, Kickstarter shows you where they come in from. And I see they're coming in from TechCrunch.com. On the homepage of TechCrunch.com, it says, trending, a bike light to end all bike lights. And then I just scream. I'm screaming. (laughs) I have the pasta in my hands and I throw pasta that's in like this strainer in the air. My co-founder is like, what's going on? Like I can barely get the words out. I'm like, TechCrunch, we're in TechCrunch. That wasn't an accident. That was movement building. Slava didn't just have a friend spreadsheet. He had one for journalists and bloggers too. He combed the internet for bike mentions, reaching out to any writer who might be even remotely interested in his bike light. The writer of that TechCrunch article happened to be one of the hundreds of journalists he emailed. And here's exactly how he reached out. The date was February 14th, 2012, eight o'clock at night. So I don't think I had the greatest social life at the time, but it said, Hi, Devin. I remember reading your Bikes of the Future article a few months back, and I thought I'd send you a quick notes. I I misspelled notes. I I thought I'd send you a quick notes. Working with a friend from MIT, we've developed a theft-resistant bike light that locks onto your handlebars. It goes on Kickstarter tomorrow. Would you like to see the video? Question mark. And he wrote back, heh, that's H-E-H, comma, that's good. I've gotten my lights stolen a couple of times. Why don't you send me a link to the Kickstarter page when it goes up? And that was it. And then he never responded, and then he he ended up writing about it. Lesson number three. Every product launch is a movement. Use your existing networks to build that movement. Tell everyone you know about your product and how it's going to change the world. Get them engaged and interested by telling your story and leverage the specific relationship that you have with them. And also, cast a very wide net. If that TechCrunch writer hadn't been on the list of the hundreds of bloggers and journalists that Slava Cold emailed, his bike light might have never been featured on the site. And again, genuinely listen for feedback. Because for everything we've learned about what marketing can do, here's one thing it can't do. So I actually get a lot of um, entrepreneurs that email me and they say, Slava, you know, we launched our product and it's not doing well on Kickstarter. We need more press. And inevitably, when I look at it, the first thing I tell them, and sometimes I say it more politely than others, but I say, press isn't your problem. Your problem is that people aren't buying your product. So unless you have a product that you've talked to customers and people need the product, then press won't help you. So that's just one really, really important disclaimer. Lesson number four, no amount of marketing can save a product that people don't want. Wharton professor, Jonah Berger. The best marketing isn't you know figuring out how to sell someone something they don't need by manipulating them. Companies are, are clever, but consumers are even more clever than they've ever been before. They know when you're trying to trick them. They know when you're trying to sell to them. And so I think the more authentic you can be when you communicate to customers, the more effective your marketing communications will be. To sum up what we've learned today about marketing your product or service, lesson number one, communicating with the outside world about your product is marketing. Be intentional when you're doing it. Lesson number two, Successful marketing requires listening first. 
Find your customers where they are and then listen to their needs. Lesson number three, every product launch is a movement. Start with who you know and build word of mouth from there. And finally, lesson number four, marketing is powerful, but no amount of marketing can save a product that people don't want. We'll be back in two weeks with a topic that's near and dear to my heart, immigrant entrepreneurs, because I am one of them. We'll talk about how they build their businesses in America and get some fascinating lessons. That's in two weeks on Open for Business. Open for Business is a branded podcast from eBay and Gimlet Creative. If you want to hear more from Open for Business, visit ebay.com slash openforbusiness where you can find more episodes of this podcast, as well as tools and information about how to start or grow a business on eBay. Subscribe to us, and if you like the show, leave a review. It really does help. Open for Business is on iTunes and Google Play. I'm John Henry. Thanks for listening.